Hi, this is Lynette Nylander, host of NTS Radio's new podcast, Sounds and Style. Each week, I'll be chatting with some of culture's most influential figures, exploring how music and style links what we wear with who we are. Expect deep cuts into musical genres and fashion subcultures as my guests and I look at how the music they love has informed the work they make today. This season, I've been chatting with Lily Allen, Martine Rose, Mel Ottenberg, and many more. New episodes drop every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to another episode of Digging with Flow. I'm very excited to be back on the allotment with some more glamorous assistants, kicking off with this week's guest, who is a well-loved British contemporary artist. Born in London in 1966, he studied art history at the Courtauld before embarking on his own multidisciplinary career, which has seen him represent Great Britain at the Venice Biennale in 2013 and win the Turner Prize in 2004. His work is usually political, humorous, collaborative, and often involves music. I'm drawn to his work in part for its political commentary, but also because it often encompasses recognisable elements from everyday life and pop culture. Jumble sale. Okay, so the church or a charity wants to raise money, so they ask people for their junk that they're going to sell on behalf of the charity in a church hall at a certain time and place. And I went to maybe nearly a thousand over a period of ten years. And you queue up and you go in and maybe the clothes at one side, bric-a-brac, which is always very, get quite sort of elbowy and a bit violent, books and records and other stuff, like bicycles even, you know, stereos, I mean, amazing things. It's artwork that speaks to something serious, that often asks about the forces that guide us and shape our identity, but its methods are utilitarian and unpretentious. You get the sense through his work that the creator is someone fascinated by the world around them, who notices things and turns them into something magic to be enjoyed by you. 
Because of this sense of humour and his clear fascination with pop culture, I was really looking forward to chatting with our guest on the allotment. Our paths had crossed briefly at a party and I emailed him that night to see if he might be up for a dig. Our conversation took us from German gardening practices to questionable Take That concerts via a shared love of the Pet Shop Boys. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I enjoyed making it, despite a bit of a hairy start that you'll hear in a second. Today, we're digging with the wonderful Jeremy Della. Okay, so welcome Jeremy to the moment. Thank you. Are we starting? No. Well, we're, we're waiting recording. for Flo. I'm Flo. Oh, fuck. I'm Flo. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> who did you think Flo I was? Flo was the person I met at an event. We did meet. Who did Flo, you think I was? Someone entirely different. Uh, I'm not even going to say think, who but, I thought you were. Did you think I was I a producer? I thought you were a male. What? Yeah. Now or then? A guy then? I met. We met at um, Ez's. Yes, we met at Ez's book launch. I thought you were someone entirely different. Or Flo. I'm I was Flo. just thinking, where's Right, okay, right, well, look. Yes, okay, let's we just a, have a reset. Let's have shall a reset. We? we had a brief chat about Neil Tennant. Yes, because Neil was there. Because Neil was there, and I wanted to meet Neil Tennant, but he'd gone. Did away. you in the end? He'd no. gone. I was too scared to meet Neil Tennant. He's wonderful, Neil. I don't think I ever want to meet Neil Tennant. He's great. I think I would just clam up and well, that's the problem. freak out. That does happen sometimes. That's happened to me sometimes when I've met. Anyway. Anyway, welcome Jeremy to the allotment. Fucking hell. All right, let's start. <laughs> that is the funny... We might have to leave that bit in. We thought of someone else. <laughs> let's start. Um, Jeremy, have you got any gardening experience? Growing up, my parents had a house with a garden. I don't have a garden now. and mm-hmm. I don't... My fingers aren't remotely green. But I've spent a lot of time in German allotments, but they're not equal called allotments. They're called Klein Gardens. And they're these beautiful plots where people get a piece of land and they have to keep them in a certain way, they're very ordered, and, uh, but they're like paradise when you walk through them because there might be 50 plots and 50 different people looking after their bits of land. And they have huts and you more or less live in them over the summer. Uh, so I spent 10 years in those making a project, making what diaries, was... basically. I gave each, each garden society, because they're societies and they have leaders and they have a clubhouse and social life, and I gave each garden society a big green book that looked like a massive bible and it was blank but it was a diary effectively and they kept diaries of the lives of their gardens for 10 years so it was like the natural life but also the social life and how they interacted with each other it's a big part of allotment life i think the social element to it i think it must be i mean good and bad i imagine Mm. but uh it being germany it's very social it's based around sort of um Carnival as well is a big thing, and then Christmas, Halloween, all the celebrations. And the clubhouses are really nice, and they have a bar there. So there's a lot of alcohol as well, but most people join in, and they make cakes and so on. So I I had 10 years of going to and fro from these gardens and meeting people and talking to them about their gardens and encouraging them to keep the diaries. You didn't pick up the... uh... I didn't pick up either German or how to keep a garden. (laughs) That's fair enough. (laughs) So I learned very little. Okay, well today what we're going to be doing is plant strawberries. Okay. It's autumn now. Right. So you can plant them now and then they'll overwinter and they'll get tougher and then you'll reap the rewards in summer or you can plant them in spring. But we're going to plant them today. We've got quite a few strawberry plants. So I'm just going to draw with this stick a line that we're going to sort of draw them in. Is that what you do? You know what you're meant to do is use string, but I don't have any today. I bet there's some string here we can nick from someone else's garden. I always think that. Not what we that should. is not on. No. That is no. how to get thrown out of the allotment. 
There must be rules and regs you have to keep. Oh, 100%. And that is like a number one thing. You cannot go into another person's plot. And pick. And they'll go crazy. It's very English, isn't it? Deeply. I mean, I know it happens throughout the UK, but there's something... It's almost one of those plucky feature films to be made about allotment owners that defeat the property developer. You know, Bill Nye is the property developer and um, the allotment owners are <laughs> Tom Courtney and, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, I would watch that. <laughs> I'm just going to place these out where we go. It, they are a very English thing. I was surprised just then when you said about the German allotments, because as far as I understood, they're very English thing because they are in return for the enclosures. Basically. Oh, really? Yeah, and some people think that they're a bit of a method of sort of social control. Yeah. That they were given to people to appease them when they obviously the landowners stole all their land, took them away, and then they made allotments to appease people so they wouldn't revolt. But then some people also think that they're social control in some other types of ways, such as keeping people out of the ale house. Right. And stuff like that. Well, that's what brass bands were. That's one idea of brass bands was to something for men to do in the evening but wasn't going to the pub and you'd end up uh, rehearsing and doing concerts and so on and that's seen as a, a form of control and, and having I, said that you know, I've hung around with a lot of brass bands and they drink tons so I don't think it really works well, and, and that's the thing with the allotments too they're sort of now they're the last kind of bit of almost communal space that you can rent cheaply and so when you think about them as this negative thing in their origin what they've become is really positive and something that everybody wants to protect. I guess that's kind of similar with the brass band yeah. thing. Something that has a strange origin story that's a bit nefarious. Yeah, exactly. Because how long have allotments been around for? I guess since the enclosures, which is... Really? However, when that is... Right. Okay. Is that the 18th century? Yes. <laughs> I should know this. I should know that I too. <laughs> I thought allotments were more about the First and Second World War. That's when they really... Um, came into their own with the whole grow your own thing. But their actual beginnings are post-enclosure. Right. Have you grown strawberries before? Yes. I don't like growing strawberries that much. I've got to say. Because I hate picking them. Well, you know, one of my favourites... I've just done something based on strawberries, weirdly enough. It's uh, from the William Morris design, Strawberry Feath. It's probably his most famous print. Do you know the Strawberry Feath? No. It's literally a bird. I don't even know what the bird is with a strawberry in its mouth. And uh, I've done a sticker of it for the William Morris Gallery, which is just up the road from I've here. been to the gallery. Yeah, and it's a strawberry on a skate... Uh, it's not, not a strawberry, a bird on a skateboard with a baseball cap with a strawberry in its mouth. I was trying to make some skater stickers for the William Morris Gallery. But it's a very beautiful print. Like I said, it's probably the most... I would say it's the most famous design, probably because of the name. It's such a great name. Mm. The things I know about William Morris are more his opinions on the world and less his aesthetic work. Well, this is the thing. He's be- it, it, it shifts over time with, with our own sort of concerns and obsessions. His ecology, his work around ecology and so on. I think he, in his novel, News From Nowhere, he actually, there's a point where central London is turned into allotments. He saw the re-greening of London as something that was going to be really... That's what he wanted in mm. News From Nowhere. Mm. So he'd be totally into this, especially with all the nature and so on. He would love this. Do you feel like you've sort of um, convened with him in some way when you work closely on a project with someone like that? That's well, obviously long dead. Yes, but he has an endless sort of career and he's very contemporary thoughts that he has. And he's, his career is so sprawling. So it's everything from the sort of cushion covers and designs to political tracts and speeches and 
thoughts on ecology and uh, protecting ancient buildings. All the, he was an activist and a, you know, an, an artist, really, in a very contemporary way. Mm. So so much, he did so much, there's always something you don't know about. Mm. Um, so I'm a big fan of his. All right. So what, am I going to be doing something? Yes, you're going to be doing something. Gloves here for you. I tend to garden without gloves, but right. you should wear gloves. Okay. It's, it's not good practice to not wear gloves. Really? Yeah, there's, Why is that? there's bacteria in the earth. Okay. So it's good to have gloves. Right. If it gets under your fingernails and I don't know, oh, yeah. I don't want to get sued by no. Jeremy Della. When will you know if this has worked? Next year? Next year. So pff, that's a future problem. But surely strawberries are something that loads of animals and insects love to eat because they're so tasty. Yeah, they do. That's why I hate picking them. Because when you go, the plants get big and all the strawberries are just on the ground. Oh, right. So it's slug and snail heaven. It's just... You don't like slugs and snails? I don't mind them, but I don't like when I put my fingers in to pick a strawberry and I put it right into the eye of a slug. Mm. And it screams. Okay, what you want to do, I'm going to have you... Do the first row, then I'll do one, and then you do one. But you need to show me first. Exactly. This is a nightmare. See, <laughs> okay. See where I've placed the pot of the strawberry. Yeah. So these are already sort of junior plants. Right. And inside here, they've got all these roots, and they're ready to just go in the ground. So I'm just, I'm just, am I just digging a hole the size of the pot? Exactly. But so it, take it out of the pot, obviously, don't I? Yeah. Uh, but what I would do is just do this with the pot. Right. To give you a little space. Yeah. Dig that hole. Yeah. Then we'll take this out. Um, well, before we put the plant in, we'll put a bit of fertilizer in the hole. So dig the hole nice and deep, and then that'll do. And while you do that, I'm going to prep on this side and also ask you some questions. Okay. I think it would be nice to start at the beginning of your sort of musical, musical discovery when you were very, very young. Were you in a, a musical household? Um, not massively. The music I experienced was on radio and television. I mean, it's almost a middle-aged male cliche to say that was top of the pops. That was the, what I had I discovered yeah. music. And that was really, for me, that was my window into popular culture, but also in the kind of adult world. And it opened my eyes to many things. So that was really important to me. It's not just a middle-aged man thing, I think, as well. I, I was, it was, for me as well, top of the pops. Yeah, but I think men do get misty-eyed over popular culture and pop music, I think. Do you think? Yeah, they really do. When I meet up with my mates who are my age, you end up talking about the kind of minutiae of music. You know, who played on what record and the sounds and the albums and who did that and what they went on to do. And the, the amount of knowledge you keep, you have from that is so vast and mm. useless. But it's important and I think men communicate with each other. They don't really talk about their feelings, but they will talk about music, and in a way they are talking about themselves a lot of the time and mm. their feelings. I think, especially slightly repressed blokes who are the ones I know. <laughs> so that's uh, so I specialise in being friends with. Do you think that's specifically a music thing, or do you think that is a wider art thing? Like, do you think the same could be said about film, or...? Um, I think music is just more immediate, and you can buy it, and... It's a richer world, I think, personally, because then you can also dance to it and you can go and see it and you can make it. And you can't really do that with film. That's a much more passive art form, really. Mm. You consume it. It's so difficult to make films. That's interesting you say that. I, I feel the same about music, because music for me as a kid was, was my thing. You know, yes. That was what I loved when I was young. 
But I never saw myself as uh, arty or creative and I didn't do art at school and I wasn't particularly interested in art, but I loved music. And then now as an adult, I feel like I'm sort of sending myself to an art school of sorts as a grown-up. Like, I, you know, I do ceramics and welding and all this oh, sort really? of thing. Oh, really? Welding? Blimey. I do. That's my new thing, welding. Oh, God, that's... I couldn't do that. I'm a very impractical person. Well, welding's really easy. This is what I was surprised to know. Well, you say that, but I, I did a bit at school when, you know, D&T or whatever, we oh, made yeah. a buzzer. Literally, I think you pressed and it buzzed. And mine was... In the end, the teacher had to make it for me because I was so... Cack-handed. Yeah. I'm just putting these in. Yeah, go on, just put them in. Oh, I didn't put the fertiliser Don't worry about it. What we'll do is we'll, um, we'll water in the fertiliser. I've put mine in as well. First mistake. Now, you've done a very nice job. It could be a little bit higher, maybe. You sort of want them... That's why, that's, an... that's perfect, yeah. This one is a bit deep, isn't it? It's a bit deep, but it doesn't matter. I don't know what to do. I don't want to kill it. By... Oh, oh, don't do that. Just, no, okay, <laughs> just right. lift it. If you grab the plant itself, it should just lift back out. Really? Yeah, unless... You... Yeah, yeah, Ooh. there you go. Okay. They're pretty sturdy. That's the other thing. There we go. So yeah. that's better now. That's it's... much better. And then you can just fill in the hole with the right. with the earth that you've taken out. Okay. How are you getting on with the trowel? Trowel's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very nice job. There we go. Um, what I was going to say, sorry, about the music thing, mm. being a kid that it was into music but not art, it felt like music was the most accessible thing because it, it sort of punches you in the stomach. Yeah. I was actually in a band. My band at school was called the Avant Gardeners. It was a uh, kind of goth rock funk band. What did you do in it? Well, I was a drummer, but I had never actually sat at a drum kit before until more or less till the concert. And um, so it wasn't really that good, but it didn't really matter because those are the people that I was in the band with ended up being my best friends at school and I'm in touch with more or less all of them still. Yeah. Because we kind of bonded over music. And again, that idea of men bonding over music when they can't talk about other stuff in their lives. Um, so it's the only art form that really gets me going in a way and it kind of will move me or I cry out, basically. Really? So live music is something that really just does my head in sometimes. Yeah. Who's the best person you've ever seen live? Probably uh, Pet Shop Boys oh. at the Royal Opera House. Oh. Just like stunning, stunning. That was like watch, that was the equivalent of like walking around a retrospective by great artists like Matisse or Picasso or someone like that. Yeah. It just felt, at the end of it, I was almost a different person and I sort of knew so much about them. My knowledge of them had just increased and my understanding of them through seeing them live. Willie Nelson, I've seen this incredible concert I saw in San Francisco. I love Willie Nelson. I saw uh, PJ Harvey recently, which was fantastic. Oh, I wish I'd gone to that. Yeah, with Roundhouse. Oh, I bet she was amazing. She is amazing. So that was really something. Yeah. Um, Christina and the Queens, I saw over the summer. That was unforgettable. Sounded like a reviewer now, don't I? But it was, uh, <laughs> that was incredible. So Prince, oh, where people you like that, you know. Iconic people. Yes, but then smaller gigs as well, you know, punk. Punkish gigs when I was growing up were really special to me. Was punk big in your life? Uh, not really, having said that. <laughs> no, but I think I was a bit scared of it. I was a bit young. Yeah. You know, I was about 10 when it hit and I wasn't prepared for it. If I'd been 13 or 14, that would have made all the difference. I'd have really got into it. But I was into what happened afterwards when I, when I was 13, in 1979, I really got into post punk and ska and all of that. Because mm. you grew up in London, right? Yeah. 
South London. Ah, oh, okay, nice. Did you ever see Depeche Mode? I've seen them a number of times. I wondered, because I was watching your film the other night. Oh, uh, yeah. I've seen them seven or eight times, I think. Wow. And uh, I'm very fond of them. Is that, how did that film, uh, I should say the title, it's Our Hobby? Our, our Hobby is Depeche Mode. How did that film happen? Um, basically, the band or the management or the record company, whoever, you know, when, when bands get this big, you never really know whose idea anything is. Mm. We're doing a 25th anniversary box, uh, sort of DVD, CD pack, when those things really existed. It's 2006, so it's their 25th. You know, it's a long time even then. And they were looking for a DVD to go into this CD pack. And I heard about this and my mate Nick and I suggested we make the film and we sent a pitch and the pitch was very simple. We'll make a film about the fans. There were some problems around people that we included in the film. We didn't realize at the time. I see. There's some, uh, I can't go into too much detail, but one of them was a German family who dressed up like the band or the band in videos or characters within the band's videos, and they were fantastic, but a lot of the German fans were outraged by them, thought they were not being serious enough. But of course, for a film, they're perfect. But, and they were great, what they said about the band was fantastic. Oh, I... They actually came up with the title of the film. Our hobby is Depeche Mode. You know, it's not sport or whatever, or, or, or a sports team. It's actually a band, is our hobby. I guess that's a bit of a tricky thing when you make stuff about the fans of people. Yeah. Or pe anyone obsessive or um, extremely enthusiastic that yeah. devote their lives to things. And but normally there's some, something... There's a lot of jealousies within this as well. Exactly. And power plays and so on. And we sort of entered that world uh, slightly innocently, naively. Right. Not realising that's what was going to happen. I just like the bit at the beginning when they're talking about Basildon. And there's those clips yeah. of the Americans talking about Basildon, which is pretty unremarkable concrete place. Yeah. Talking about Basildon like it's Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, and, it's a, and of course the fans have this very idyllic view of Basildon as being this incredible place because this incredible music came from there. It must be amazing, like with castles and parks and, and of course Basildon's a new town, and mm. so they don't really know, but that's, but that's a, like, kind of a sweet moment. Mm. That's the thing I like in a lot of your work. It feels like you see beauty or fantasticness in things that are perhaps like a bit mundane. When I was reading, I, I was reading Art is Magic. Oh uh, um, yes. Your new book. My book. Which is fabulous. Thank you. What a beautiful book it is. Thank you. I, had to, I, I tried to make a book that was positive. It is. It I'm is. Because I'm a particularly positive person, so I, I felt I had to make a book that was positive because otherwise it wouldn't sell, so I had to give it a title that at least... And that's... That's interesting. Are you not a positive person? Not really. I mean, I, I make art to remain positive or try to keep positive about things, but I'm not, you know, I'm a bit of an old grump, really. That's interesting. I'm also not a particularly positive person, but no. when I was reading the book, I found it... it lifted my spirits. I liked so much what you said about, on the back, that art is a way of staying in love with the world. Yes, that's true. I like that very much. Well, you know, it's just... Yeah, I think it's trying to find wonder in things and And I guess that's happiness. what you're doing yourself with your own work. Yeah, it keeps me going. So it's, you know, it's a personal thing as well, obviously, as it should be. But um, I try to remain positive about things. I mean, a lot of the work I make is about things that aren't, aren't very good, to put it mildly, are, are, are troubling things. Mm. But other things, when it's music especially, it's, it's much more positive. It's about 
sort of love of music, and mm. the world of music. Is there, do you have any hobbies? Like, are there things that you do when you're feeling a bit out of love with the world that aren't art? No, I have no hobbies. Not one? No. I read. That's not a hobby, though, is it? I don't know. I don't really know what the line is between a hobby and an interest. And a sort of pastime. Mm. I don't have hobbies. I mean, I watch television a lot. Oh, that's probably a hobby. <sighs> well, I've made it a hobby because I'm very good at it. And so... Um, <laughs> what I are you watching? I, I watch telly a lot. <laughs> I'm just re-watching Peep Show. Which is oh, I've great. done that about eight times. Yeah. It aged well. It has. Mm. It, it's on the edge a lot of the time. <laughs> There's things that are like, oh my goodness. Uh, but I, no, I don't have hobbies. I'm not, I'm not practical enough to have a hobby where you make things or do things. Right. I don't go to like choirs and things like that. I don't, I'm not a member of a choir or a no, but team I, of them. I think I need to think more about my hobbies versus interests thing. I think if you're really passionate about something, for example, music, and you go to a lot of live music, yeah. or you listen to a lot of music, almost obsessively, surely that's a hobby. You'd think so, wouldn't you? I mean, I don't listen to enough music, really, because I just, I just got obsessed with listening to, to like, new, the news and podcasts and whatnot. Mm. So music played, I listen to it less, and all that, that saddens me a bit. Are you, if you did listen to something at the moment, what would it be? Well, I do listen to music, but I just don't listen to it intently and strategically or uh, with any organisation. That might so, be a bit of a technological thing. It might be. I get given vinyl and I do have a record player, but it's in pieces, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. But I will always accept a record from someone because one day I will play it. The last uh, episode of Later, I don't know if you saw it, was really amazing, the people on it. It was such a sort of diverse group of people and it, they were all, in their own way, really interesting and it was really great. Even, take that, Ronnie, and they've tried to make this sort of West Coast, southern rock record. Like, Take that? Yeah, almost like the singer-songwritery music, and it's terrible, but it was sort of interesting seeing them with these session musicians playing this heartfelt music. It just didn't work, but it was really fascinating to watch these three old blokes, basically, harmonise and try and sing these songs that were not pop songs, and they recorded in the... In the Savannah, Georgia, with, a, with this big producer who probably worked with really good people and then ends up working with Gary Barr. <laughs> it's, just like, it's just quite interesting how that works and how they were try, trying to like reinvent themselves as the birds or something like that, or some version of that. Which, I mean, I saw Take That back in the day, like 93, 94, I was really interested in them. And I went to see them at Wembley Arena and it was, Kind of an amazing concert. I took pictures of the fans. I mean, you could never do that now. But that was, that was just me outside Wembley Arena taking pictures. I think I was doing it for a magazine, but the article never happened or something. I can't remember. Um, but it was quite a concert. I have to say, I was really impressed. It's one of the, it's probably the first teen concert I'd been to, and I was far too old. But their logo, which, which was a T on a T, but like inverted, so it was mm. like a mirror yeah. image of a T. I mean, I hate to say it, it was in these banners, these long banners, black tees on a white circle with a red banner or something like that. And it looked like swastikas. I couldn't oh, believe fucking it. The imagery of the Third Reich almost to have these banners. That's what, that's what it... Uh, the, the vertical banner is... As I remember mm. it. It might not have been like that. I know Throbbing Gristle used to do something similar, but it was like they've got someone from... 
He'd worked with Robin Gristle to do their look. Uh, <laughs> and that was interesting. But I just remember when it, they had tiny screens, because that was the era of tiny screens, obviously. And, and whenever Robbie appeared, you know, because they'd give each member like a, a few seconds and they're talking or whatever, the, sc- the level of screams just went up I bet. two or threefold. I bet. Well, so I'd even then, he was by far the most popular. The one. Yeah. And then I saw them without Robbie about three or four years later, and it was entirely different. That's when they did Smells Like Teen Spirit, and they tried to be, be like, do indie music and a Beatles medley. I mean, it was awful. <laughs> it was all over for me by then. And, oh, there's a worm. Sorry, mate. I hope I haven't hurt you. Oh, they're pretty resilient. Did he cut him in half? I don't know. That's I don't right. remember looking. Yeah, don't worry too much about it. Um, <laughs> I was re- reading about you or something somewhere, and you were talking about car boot fairs, and I wondered if that's something, or jumble sales. Jumble sales, really. That was, um, I don't go to them anymore because they don't really exist anymore. And I do boot fairs occasionally, but I find them sort of quite depressing in the way that jumble sales aren't. For me, it's a different dynamic, whereas jumble sales is charitable, so there's a more kind of community thing going on. Could you explain to me, maybe I don't fully understand what a jumble sale is. Really? Do you really not understand what a jumble sale is? For me, a jumble sale is, uh, me as a kid, I did a jumble sale in my drive of the house. Oh no, that's not a jumble. I'm sorry, that's a yard sale. Is a jumble sale like jumble. someone's died no. and you sell oh all their stuff? Oh my God, this is terrible. You don't know what a jumble <laughs> sale is. You really, this is... What is that called? A jumble sale. Okay, so the church or a charity wants to raise money. So they ask people for their junk and for their clothes, for their books and records that they're going to sell on behalf of the charity in a church hall at a time, a certain time and place. Like the scouts do it. Got it. A church might do it, a, a group community group might do it to raise money and they make and they let people know we're having a jumble sale at this time and you go and I went to maybe nearly a thousand in, over a period of 10 years and you queue up and you go in and maybe the clothes at one side bric-a-brac which is always very get quite sort of elbowy and a bit violent books and records and other stuff like bicycles even you know stereos I mean amazing things and so depending on the jumble sale and who's collecting it there's just tons of stuff so it's like a charity shop but everything is really really cheap mm. so you could buy you know records or books books 10p records 20 30p jackets or suits a pound and so you buy a lot of stuff if you have five quid you could fill bags up with stuff mm. and um so i went to a lot like i said they don't really exist anymore because people sell their own stuff on ebay or they do boot fairs or they do, or they take stuff to charity shops because it's easier. But it's, um, jumble sales were amazing for me because it really taught me about so many things because you just go and randomly buy books and records and clothes and um, you'd find out about things through these sort of accidents almost. So that's, it was a kind of a version of the internet. In I'm partial sense. to a boot fair in the same way, yeah. but that sounds superior. It, it, it's more of an event and it, they're yeah. inside often, because boot fairs are usually outside, and everything's a lot cheaper. And also, you're not, you're not buying from the person who's trying to sell it to you, so there's less of a sort of weird dynamic there. And um, I like that. I'd, I'd much rather that. Yeah. It's not personal. Mm. And it's all for charity. So it's, a very, it's very different. And, but, you, you know, if you go... I bought amazing things, most of which I've got rid of because I had so much stuff, mm. but amazing books and records. I mean, things now are worth a fortune, mm. especially some of the vinyl. Would you say you're a collector of anything? 
No, not really. I mean, I do have things, but I don't collect. I don't go out my way to collect things. Don't are you a space? Are you a stuff person? Um, I try not to be, but inevitably, I am a bit. I do remember times when I bought records at Jumble Soul. I bought a Can album at Jumble Soul, not knowing what it was, and then now it's kind of a life-changing thing for music. You know? Sick. So, I was at a Jumble Soul at a, an anarchist squat in Brixton. They had a Jumble Soul and. All the records were 10p, and I think it was basically someone's record collection. It was like every interesting record made in the 70s. Can, uh, Neil Young, and all the sort of, you know, the good stuff, basically. Mm. Sort of Hawkwind, and you know, classic stuff. And it's probably punk as well. Mm. But, um, so yeah, it was an adventure. Because you never really knew what you were going to get. Mm. You look like you've done a great job over here. Oh, I think, well... The strawberries look like they're in. I've never done this before, to be honest. How did you find it? It's fine. I think I like a lot of things. I was thinking about it as on the way here. It's probably like drawing or strumming a guitar. It's actually quite relaxing, isn't it? Just to be doing something that isn't phone-based and uh, use your hands, sort of, and you can lose track of time, things like that. I think those are really important things to have. I don't have that really enough. I'm too. I'm on too much, probably. That's why I like it. Yeah. I mean, I... I got my way to sort of stress myself out listening to podcasts and the news and so on. I should uh, maybe not do that so much. But this seems good. And you've got some rhubarb there. I love rhubarb. But the, it's the colour, though. It's, the it's same beautiful colour. Oh, and the one behind it's nice, too, the purple I don't one. even know what that red is called because it's a... What has that red got in it? What other colour is... It's quite pink to me, I think. Yeah. Uh, this one this one is a bit orange and this one is a bit pink. It looks fluorescent because the light's shining through yeah. it. Yeah. So. Look at that. My God, look at that colour. I would love a top that colour, like a long sleeve top. Almost you've got to take it into somewhere and just say, can you, <laughs> yeah. can you make something? Or I've got it? a terrible sense of colour. And when I do my ceramics, I'm good at making things, you know, the whatever the form. Yeah. And then when I'm very decorated, it just looks like a kid has done it in not a charming way. I find it difficult to name colours. I'm officially colour blind, but I think it's a very mild version of colour blindness that a lot of people have. Interesting. But, but it's not, I know that's red. Yeah. But I know what red is. I'm sure I know what red is and green. How did you yeah. find that out? When I was a child, they do these tests with um, dots and numbers and letters. And if you can't see a number with all these dots, that means you're not seeing the colours correctly. They're quite well known. You can go online and look at them. Yeah, but did you do that because you suspected you were colourblind? No, it's just part of a medical. Oh, right. Those are the years. Maybe... I can't remember Kids don't doing that. Have medicals anymore because it costs too much money. But I had a medical when I was probably seven or eight. But that was, you know, I hate to say it, that was probably 50 years ago when they did things for children. You had, that, you had milk every day and uh, a medical and violin lessons when you were a child. What's You've this? got this, so this one here is an alpine strawberry. Right. So it's a bit of a different variety. But let's put that as sort of the crown jewel of the. Where do you think would look nice in this patch of... Well, probably at the head of it. Like there. It's like the lead singer, isn't it? It's a bit ceremonial, yeah. Do you want to put it it's in? It's sort of, uh, yeah, it's the uh, Freddie Mercury of... Uh, yeah, that looks, that's good. Can you put it a tiny bit closer? No, towards me, yeah, exactly. Just so it's not in the salad bit. Okay, so there. Yeah, that that's, right? yeah, that's perfect. It's bigger as well. There's, like, there's as much on this hole. as there are on all the other little ones, really, aren't there? Exactly. It's, it's... Yeah, nice big hole for that one. But I think strawberry-wise, we're certainly done. Strawberries are in. They're in. I'll send you some in the post in the, in the summer. A feast. 
Yeah. Thank you very much, Jeremy. That's a pleasure. Happy to do this. Sorry, I thought you were someone entirely different. <laughs> I can't believe that. I don't know whether you should put keep that in. I think, so, I think there's something in it. Thanks for listening to Digging. Today's episode was hosted and edited by me, Flo Dill. Produced by Lizzie King, with recording by Jennifer Walton and audio production from Felix Stock. Our theme music is by the wonderful Cleaners from Venus. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.